There was a strange, heavy feeling in the air as Marianne opened her eyes. The room was dark, and it was still too early in the morning for the kids to be awake. She could hear her husband snoring on the other side of the bed, and yet she felt as if someone, somewhere in the house was awake. She sat up slowly and eased her feet onto the ground, reaching for her robe. Once she had wrapped the sash around her waist, she stepped out into the hallway and sucked in a deep breath. The family pictures that she had so carefully hung along the landing were neatly stacked on the floor at the top of the stairs, face down. She crouched down to pick them up and looked down the stairs where there was another stack of family pictures face down on the floor. The only thing that had remained hanging was a somber portrait of a Native American woman on the wall opposite the stairs. The woman's painted eyes seemed more alive than Marianne had remembered. Welcome to Spectral Evidence, a podcast from Locuson Studio. I'm your host, Shay Locuson. Every other Wednesday, I'll share real-life stories of encounters with the supernatural, from bumps in the night to glimpses of unknown creatures on the side of the road. This is the first episode, and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening so early on. I wanted to take on a project to document my own experiences with the dead, and the platform finally presented itself. I actually had a dream that I was doing this podcast, so I decided to take a leap and do it. Speaking of dreams, I should briefly touch on what spectral evidence is. You may have heard the term before in relation to the Salem witch trials. Spectral evidence was witness testimony of the accused person's specter or shape that would appear in the dreams or visions of the accusers. It was accepted as concrete evidence in Salem and used to unfairly convict people of witchcraft. In this podcast, I'll be collecting the unknown and detailing the undetectable. It'll be up to you whether or not you accept the spectral evidence. first story is about a house in Loveland, Colorado near Namaqua Hill. You're going to hear about this house in a few episodes. Everyone in my family has a story about something that happened to the Big Red House. The house looks very different from how it did 30 years ago. The people who bought it after my parents divorced and put it up for sale made a lot of changes, including painting the exterior. Because of this, you'll not be able to find it from the description provided. If you do happen to figure out which house it is, please do not disturb your current residence. I don't know if they've experienced any paranormal activity like we did. To provide some background on the area, Namaqua was a fort in the first settlement of the Big Thompson River founded by the fur trapper Mariano Medina. The fort began as a modest settlement with a toll bridge. A raid by the indigenous people in the area prompted Medina and the other settlers to construct a fort in the 1860s. Originally called Miraville, the town came to be known as Namaqua in 1868 when the post office was established. The construction of the Colorado Central Railway led to the expansion of a new town called Loveland. As Loveland grew, Namaqua dwindled away and eventually became a part of the city. One interesting remnant of this time period is the Medina Family Cemetery. 
The cemetery was considered to be abandoned by 1968 and the city directed the removal of the bodies to Namaqua Park. This led to the discovery of several unmarked graves containing unidentified remains. Mariano Medina himself is likely to be one of these unidentified bodies. He was buried outside of the cemetery's southern wall due to the fact that it was already full with the bodies of his extended family. This wall was moved years after his death to include his grave. The other identified bodies that were exhumed in the 1960s include that of another male found outside the southern wall and a child. Beyond the Medina family cemetery, there are rumors of a quote-unquote Indian burial ground near Namaqua Hill. Hauntings being attributed to these burial grounds is a familiar trope in horror films and stories of the supernatural. Whether or not there is a pre-colonial burial ground near Namaqua is unclear. The indigenous people present in the area were the Arapaho and the Cheyenne. These tribes were later displaced to reservations in Oklahoma, Wyoming, and Montana, respectively. As the town of Loveland grew into a city, it continued to depend on agriculture right up into the 1970s. Sugar beets and cherries were the primary crops. The area was home to the Spring Glade Orchard in the 1920s, which was the largest cherry orchard in the West. However, this booming industry was dead by the 1960s due to a major freeze, diseases, and drought. By the 1990s, the area had moved away from agriculture into manufacturing and technology. A brand new hospital provided even more jobs to the influx of people moving into the city of Loveland. Marianne opened the sliding glass door and stepped out onto the back porch just in time to see her son Dave hoisting himself up and over the privacy fence at the far end of the yard. He was followed by her stepson Brian. The older teen teetered awkwardly at the top of the fence before he disappeared on the other side. The boys had told her that they were going to explore the old orchard that was across the street. Marianne could see the trees from the porch. It really wasn't that far and the boys were old enough to entertain themselves. The fact that David managed to pull Brian away from playing Sonic the Hedgehog was practically a relief. For a short time, at least, she wouldn't have to hear the repetitive dings from the game. She'd asked the boys about the pictures before they'd gone out the back door. They said they didn't know what she was talking about. She wasn't sure how honest Brian was being since he had answered her with his typical sarcasm, but she was sure Dave hadn't done it. The kids had a habit of playing pranks on each other. It was possible that her daughter Julie was behind the performance of the pictures, but it didn't quite seem to make sense. The pranks between the teens were always targeting each other, whereas this thing with the pictures seemed aimed at her. Marianne tried to put the incident out of her mind. There was still so much to get done with the house. voice was a hushed whisper coming from the hallway. Marianne was out of bed and on her feet before she was even fully awake. She stepped out into the hallway, her eyes still struggling to adjust. Julie was standing at the top of the stairs and she didn't look hurt, which was a relief. But the girl's eyes were wide and scared in the dark. Marianne fumbled for the light switch and snapped it on. What? What's going on? Julie was squinting against the hallway light, pointing down the stairs where Marianne could see a neat stack of pictures face down on the floor. I went to the bathroom and when I came out, the pictures... She trailed off. 
She hadn't been in the bathroom for more than a few minutes, and she knew that no one else had been out in the hallway. Very funny, Julie. Marianne rubbed her hand over her face. Why did you do that? I didn't, Mom. The girl insisted, her expression changing from scared to annoyed in an instant. Why would I do that? Marianne didn't have an answer for that. She put her hand on Julie's back and guided her back towards her room. Just go to bed, and I'll put them back in the morning. Julie threw herself into bed, mumbling something that Marianne didn't catch and was sure she didn't want to. She turned from her daughter's room and clicked off the light, letting her fingers trail down the wall. She should have been alone in the dark, but she couldn't help but be aware of something watching her from the foot of the stairs. Shay pushed the Beethoven VHS into the VCR and bounced back to the bed. It was a privilege to watch a movie in a blanket nest in his parents' room. The older kids had friends over and had taken over the living room with pizza and cups of Pepsi. Shay could hear them laughing and talking from downstairs. He made a face at the doorway, turned up the volume on the television, and reached for the slice of pizza he had been sent upstairs with. When he looked back towards the TV, something seemed different. He swallowed the bite of pizza and set the slice down on the paper plate. The picture of Grandma that was hanging to the right side of the TV had changed. She wasn't looking away from the camera anymore. She was staring right at him. As he watched, she smiled. His stomach immediately turned. Pictures weren't supposed to move, and that definitely wasn't how Grandma looked when she smiled. The picture kept moving, his Grandma's face getting closer and closer, her eyes rolling wildly in their sockets. Finally, her tongue slid out from between her teeth, too long and purple to be natural. Shay dropped the paper plate, the pizza landing face down on the comforter as he struggled to get out of the nest of blankets. The other pictures were moving now, too, mouths gaping with silent but eerie laughter and snarls. He tripped over the blankets, panicking as he tried to scramble out of the room. As soon as he had his feet under him, he was running down the stairs, not even daring to look at the pictures that hung in the landing. Marianne caught him before he got to the living room, turning him away from the television screen as if it were worse than what he had just witnessed upstairs. Whoa, 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 what's going on? She kneeled down, trying to see if her youngest child was hurt. <laughs> Grandma's face changed, was the only thing he managed to gasp out before he hugged onto her tight. She put her arm around him and looked up the stairs, unsure about what the little boy meant. The fourth time Marianne found the pictures on the floor, she made the decision to put an end to it once and for all. She gathered them off the floor and took them to the dining room where she could carefully wrap them up and put them in boxes. Her husband had been insisting to her that it was the kids messing around with them all along and lying to them about taking the pictures down. This last time had managed to rattle him too, because the kids hadn't been home. It would be better if the pictures were boxed up and in storage. Marianne set the box down by the front door and turned to look at the last remaining picture on the wall. The woman's face had always looked passive, almost serene before. Now, now she looked like she was smirking.
I want to thank my mother, Marianne, and my sister, Julie, for allowing me to share their experiences with you today. I'm looking forward to sharing more stories from them and you in the future. For more information on the podcast and my artwork, please visit my website at locusinstudio.com and check the show notes for information about the music used in this episode. If you enjoyed Spectral Evidence, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening. A new episode comes out every other Wednesday. Thank you for listening.